When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other half of the podcast. Good evening, Kyle. How are you today? Kevin, I'm just doing fantastic. <laughs> I, I know we'll uh, we'll dive into some of the uh, the topics where we <laughs> may uh, highlight the fact that I'm just super excited for this episode. But um, my guy's back, bro. Back. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you ready to dive into these topics? Unfortunately. Yes. So the first one being Tom Brady is officially back. He's back from his retirement. I think it was not even a month and a half since when he retired. But he will be back in the fold for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into his 23rd season. When the season starts in September, I'm just over the moon about it. I know Kevin is just thrilled about that. So we'll actually have two segments for that one. We'll just dive into the reaction of him coming back, and then we'll talk about the expectations that we have for Brady going into this upcoming season. After that, we'll keep it within the NFL. Deshaun Watson was not criminally charged in his case that had been going on for over the last year or so. And with that said, it has opened up a bunch of trade rumors. It is expected that he will be moved from the Houston Texans. So we'll kind of dive into some trade scenarios with him, with how we see it. After that, we'll talk about Amari Cooper being traded from the Dallas Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns based on recent experiences. Seems like top flight receivers don't necessarily do well when they go to Cleveland, but we'll dive into impact of that trade from Cooper going from Dallas to Cleveland. We'll talk about Kirk Cousins getting extended by the Minnesota Vikings for another year. Then we'll kick it to the NBA. And Kevin's going to have to offer an apology to Spencer Dinwiddie, who has been playing pretty solid for the Dallas Mavericks since the trade between the Mavericks and the Wizards went through, where they sent Chris Porzingis to the Wizards. And in return, Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie went to Dallas. And if Kevin is up for it, we do have possibly a bonus segment where we may dive into the Yankees season now that the MLB is back. But, you know, that one's kind of a question mark. We'll kind of see how that one goes. But I know Kevin's probably just going to be fuming if I bring that one up at the end of the episode. But that's pretty much what we have on deck for you guys. Kevin, the floor is yours. <sighs> Kyle, Tom Brady has announced his illustrious comeback after taking what looked to be the shortest retirement in history. He's coming back for a 23rd season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And obviously this being your favorite player and us obviously having that long conversation of what it means for him to retire. What are your current feelings with him announcing that he's coming back for another shot for the eighth ring? Kevin, the show goes on, bro. Show goes on, and bro, I'm just so excited to see that Tom Brady's back in the fold. And look, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when Brady retired. And the, the one thing that I always kind of kept in the back of my head after he kind of made that decision on Instagram was that he never officially handed his retirement papers in the NFL. So there's usually that transaction wire that will list 
when players quote unquote retire. That never happened with Brady. So I always kind of kept the door open that Brady would come back for his 23rd season. I wasn't sure that he was going to come back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because it really kind of seemed like that bridge had been burned between both Tampa and Tom just because I think Bruce Arians wasn't necessarily happy about how the season ended with the chatter between him and Brady. And then there were rumors circulating about him possibly going to the San Francisco 49ers. And I was open to the idea that that would actually be a great comeback story just because then he would be able to have one homecoming year with the 49ers. And then that, that could possibly end in a Super Bowl run just because the 49ers were only a couple of plays away from going to Super Bowl 56 this past season. So when I look at it, Brady's going to be in a great situation with Tampa. Granted, there will be some pieces that will be missing from what they had this past season when they lost to the Los Angeles Rams in the divisional round. But as far as Brady coming back, I'm happy that he's back. I'm not shocked that he's coming back just because I kind of left that door open. But all in all, I think if you're anybody in the NFC, when the news hit, the first reaction that I think most of those teams had was like, God damn it. It's like, we got to deal with this guy once again. And that's just, it is what it is. You know, if Tom's around, you always have to account for him no matter where he goes. And the way that I see it is he had an MVP season last year. And I think he can go right back into that same form and wreak havoc in the NFL once again when he starts his 23rd season in the NFL. That's just how I see it. Yeah, it's... uh... Uh, sorry, I, I just saw breaking news for the Yankees, and this is why I didn't want to talk about them. Um, oh, my God. I'm going to lose my shit, guys. I'm going to lose my shit. We just traded Gio Urshela, and thankfully Gary Sanchez, for Josh Donaldson and a shortstop I've never even heard of, Isaiah Kinner Falefa. Josh Donaldson's 36 years old. Come on, man. Come on, bro. The floor is yours, bro. The floor is yours. Oh, my God. This is what I'm talking about. Like, what the fuck is this? You want me to get excited about this? This is what we do when the season starts? Are you fucking kidding me right now? Josh Donaldson's literally 36 years old. What? I'm happy Gary Sanchez is gone. Don't get me wrong. Ecstatic. I don't even know who this other player is. He could be a gold glover for all I know, so I can't talk any shit. But Gio Urshela, really? Like, come on, man. Like... I hate everything about this this is awful like we just got so old what the fuck am I supposed to do with this information right now this is what the Yankees are doing like why did this even happen like who catcher Ben Rovatar is headed to New York along with Josh Donaldson and Kinner Falefa Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela are going to Minnesota who is this guy? Who is I? 
I, I don't even know how to spell this man's name. J- I z- Whatever. Finn. Finn. Fin, what? Falefa? Fal. Fal. Who the fuck is this? I don't even know who this person is. Not falafel, right? F A L E F A. I'm gonna. That's that's you, bro. You got the report in front of you. That's all you. He's. What? What is this? We have. He had. What did we just trade for? He had 172 hits, 53 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, 28 walks, 172. Where's your batting average? He batted 312 last year. Oh, excuse me. I read that wrong. That's on base percentage. He batted 271 last year. He's only 26. He's been on the. How the fuck? He's been on the Rangers this whole time, but we just traded from the Twins. That's weird. Whatever. I'm not even going to. Another old bat that just swings at nothing. Just. <sighs> anyway, uh, I'm going to I'm going to pivot back to football real quick. Just give me a minute. My allergies are acting up and I'm angry as shit. Like my face is red. Like I feel my face is red. I think a part of it is the fact that the, that Yankees trade is probably. Anyway, uh, in regards to Tom Brady coming back, Kyle and I had talked about this. And we had said when we made the segment about him retiring, we felt that there was something about him that just didn't seem right. We felt that we knew he was going to come back. Like, you don't just hang it up on probably one of the best statistical seasons you've ever had in your career, if not one, if not the best, when you argue the 50 touchdown one when you have a Randy Moss in 2007. Um, I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, I'm not shocked at all. Um, I'm shocked at how fast he announced that he was coming back. I mean, the man made it six weeks into the offseason and said, yo, I can't deal with my kids. I can't deal with my wife. I, I need to play football. Uh, I definitely felt that he was coming back for sure. I just didn't think it would be this quick. So um, in terms of my initial reaction, I, I was, of course, upset because everybody already knows if you know me um, – I don't like Tom Brady. I respect the fact that he's the GOAT, but, you know, I was finally looking forward to a future without him. And now I have to endure one more season with him. So I'm, again, not shocked, but I'm curious to see how things end up in Tampa because of all the free agency situations that are going to occur this offseason. Obviously, Godwin's back, and I know that we'll get into, um, you know, our predictions for what Tampa's going to produce as a whole this season in just a few minutes. But in regards to this Tom Brady unretiring, not a surprise whatsoever. I am in shock that Tampa's keeping him because I definitely thought, I firmly believe that San Francisco story was more of a possibility than anything just because I felt like it fit right. But um, hey, man, kudos to Tom. Uh, we, we both said he still had plenty left in the tank. So, you know, shout out to Tom for coming back. I don't think he's going to go get an eighth ring or anything. I don't think Tampa's built like they were two years ago when they won the Super Bowl. But, I mean, you just can't count out TB12, man. When you have that man on the field, you just automatically have a chance at a Super Bowl, and that's just how it is. Yeah, it's just – it's like you said. We were never really sold on the fact that he was done. I mean, we had segments where we talked about the possibility of, you know, we're going to take it, you know, just, like, at face value to a certain extent. But, like, internally, we both kind of knew that, like, kind of be crazy – 
it'd be kind of shocking to both of us had that been the last game, that last Rams game, that would be the last one that he would ever play. Just because, you know, coming off the season that he had, I think it was, it's like you said, one of his better statistical seasons. 43 touchdowns. I mean, it's, it's impressive. It basically yeah. had the same stat line from last year. Just had the one extra game where he had the three extra touchdowns. But, you know, it's, it's, it's Tom. It's like, it's just, the guy can basically do whatever he wants at this point now. Cause I mean, guys, the guy's the goat. Just, it goes without saying at this point, but I think he's not satisfied. I think he's pissed off about how that season ended last year. And I think that's why he, th- there's definitely an element of why he's coming back. And I think that's a huge part of it. And I do think that the family thing is a big topic of discussion uh, for him personally, but I just don't think he's ready to hang it up yet. I, I don't think he's satisfied. And I, until he reaches the point where he is like 100% satisfied with his career, where he can look back on it and, you know, reflect on it fondly, he's still going to be out there and playing. So that's just kind of how I see it. Now, we do have to kind of take into account of, okay, he's coming back for his 23rd season. And granted, Tampa is going to look like a different team going into this into this upcoming season compared to the last couple seasons they've had Tom there. But Kevin, I got to ask you now with Tom Brady coming back into the fold for the Buccaneers this upcoming season, what do you think the expectations are going to be set upon him going into the season? Uh, I think they're a playoff team for sure. They're going to win the South just because I don't see Carolina putting anything out there. I don't see New Orleans doing anything, and I also don't see Atlanta doing anything. Now, granted, obviously, Deshaun Watson, again, is another topic we'll get into in a minute. Um, Unless Carolina goes out there and acquires Deshaun Watson, uh, I don't necessarily see them doing that without giving up a significant, uh, significant draft capital and some other notable players. So, I mean, we'll have to see what happens but in terms of right now if Deshaun does not go to Carolina I just see Tampa running it back in terms of winning the division potentially going about 11 and 6 12 and 5 which is just enough to get in at the three or four seed Um, and at the same time I do see them making at least a significant playoff push maybe an NFC championship appearance but I would say that's a that's a stretch just because I just don't have enough faith in this roster, the way it's currently constructed, Carlton Davis is probably going to get out of there. Jason Pierre-Paul is going to get out of there. Obviously, Leonard Fournette's going to go chase a paycheck, and then we don't know what's happening with Ronald Jones and a couple of other players that were pivotal in Tampa winning the Super Bowl just a few years ago. So in reality, I, I, I say that Tom immediately puts them back into the postseason conversation, but I don't necessarily see it being possible for them to go out there and compete realistically for another Super Bowl um, just because – if you take away a big chunk of those players that I just named off and you kind of replace them with either rookies or, you know, random free agents or even people that just get called up from the practice squad, I don't really see it as somebody, or should I say, I don't see them as someone to make an imprint on me to compete for a championship because there are still other teams around in the NFL that are just better than them, not just on paper, but obviously performance-wise. And I'm not going to rule out the Rams for at least going back to the NFC Championship to try and compete for an NFC for uh, another Super Bowl. Um, I know that I predicted that they would lose um, in the Super Bowl prior, but I do think that Tampa adds another dynamic to the competitiveness of the NFC as a whole. But again, I, I stand firmly on they'll probably be a divisional bounce if not an NFC Championship loss. Well, when Brady is back in the fold, 
you always have to account the possibility that with him on the roster that you have to consider them at least at a shot for a Super Bowl. Now, I do take your points with a significant amount of respect because this roster is not going to look the same as it did in that Super Bowl run when they beat the Chiefs in Super Bowl 55. However, I do think that this team is going to pretty much cakewalk through the NFC South. That's if Deshaun Watson doesn't get traded to the Carolina Panthers. We don't really know how that's going to play out, but I don't really see him going there. That's something that we'll talk about in a later segment. But all in all, I think they have enough pieces to possibly get to an NFC Championship appearance. When I look at the entire scope of the NFC, you have to account for Green Bay. You have to account for the Rams. They just won the Super Bowl. You have to account for teams that are out in the NFC West, like the Arizona Cardinals. You have to account for the Dallas Cowboys, even though that they had a hell of an end to the season in that first round playoff loss. I think that Tampa is in the fold to possibly get there. Now, granted, they have to have some games go their way, but all in all, I think that they'll be in a good position next year. I think Tom, as far as my expectations for him, I think he'll be great. He's coming off of a season where he threw 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He threw for 5,300 yards passing. And I was, I thought he was phenomenal. And for somebody who's going to turn 45 when the season starts, you would typically think that he would fall off, that there'd be some sort of regression in his production. I don't see that. And I think going into this upcoming season, I think he could definitely put up 35 touchdowns. He could throw for 4,500 yards. And I think when it's all said and done, I could see Tampa going 12-5, and getting to an NFC Championship appearance, possibly a Super Bowl if they get a favorable matchup in the NFC Championship appearance if they get there. It's just, I think it is going to be difficult, though, because it's like you said, there are going to be some pieces that are going to be missing, like Jason Pierre-Paul, Carlton Davis. They had one of their offensive linemen just retired this just a couple of days ago. So I think there's going to be some shifting, and there's definitely going to have to be some adjustments that are going to be made during this offseason for Tampa to possibly get into another Super Bowl. Not going to be easy. This is not going to be like 2020 when they went all the way to Super Bowl 55, beat Kansas City, and Tom got his seventh ring. If Tom were to yeah. able to get his eighth ring, this would definitely be a great challenge, and I think the odds are stacked against him. But it's Tom, and you can never really count him out, and I think... That competitive spirit, that competitive fire, I think it still burns hot. And I think you always have to account for that. And I never count the guy out no matter what. And I, I definitely think that when all is said and done, I think that this is it. I think this is probably the last run that we'll see from Tom Brady. And if it is, hey, bro, it's one more Super Bowl quest. And you can never count the guy out from that. Yeah, no, that's. 100% the truth. When you have Tom Brady, like I said a multitude of times, um, he puts you in a position to compete for a championship, but I just don't see it happening to where this roster will be pushed into the upper echelon competition of a Super Bowl for you know this season. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. He obviously gives them a shot more than anybody else mm-hmm. did, and now Tampa could just focus on either trying to keep the assets that they currently have and or look to acquire some other additional pieces because everybody thought the last week or so that Tampa was in the move or was in the market for a quarterback and was obviously probably going to go into a full rebuild mode. If I'm being completely honest with you, just because people were willing to leave. Obviously we saw a bunch of other free agents that are currently on Tampa looking and 
to be uh, taking other offers from other people. Now with Tom coming back, does that entice Carlton to stay, JPP to stay? Like, does that mean that they want to come back for cheap? So we will see what happens overall. But, I mean, Tampa as a whole is a playoff team no matter what. We've all seen teams go on runs that they shouldn't have been on. And it ends up panning out, whether it's a Super Bowl berth or a Super Bowl win. Yeah, and even on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, you mentioned names like Leonard Fournette, um, Ronald Jones. We don't necessarily know what Gronk is doing yet. Because Gronk has already been kind of circulating in rumors about possibly going to the Bengals. We've seen that those rumors pop up just a couple of weeks ago. I could definitely see a scenario where, where Gronk goes back to Tampa just because Tom's his boy. And I could definitely see a reunion there once again. When it comes to AB, though, AB is not going to be with the Bucks, So I think that's definitely going to be... I think it's going to be a spot that Tampa is going to have to try to adjust to just because when AB was not on the field for Tampa, that wide receiving core definitely took a hit. And it didn't help that Chris Godwin uh, left the season with a torn ACL. Now, granted, they will get him back in the fold on a franchise tag this upcoming season. So, I mean, all in all, it could be worse. I mean, Tampa could be faced with a situation where they could have either had to go with Blaine Gabbert or Kyle Trask as a potential starting quarterback. And now that Tom's back in the fold, they can at least look say, okay, now this is something that we can work with for this season. We could definitely make the playoffs with this roster. It's just how can we bolster this roster to not only make it a playoff team, but to make it a Super Bowl contending team. And I definitely think there's there's still a lot of work to be done. I think that front office for Tampa, they're going to be busy this offseason trying to make all the adjustments to possibly get this team for another Super Bowl run. But getting Brady back in the fold, I think, was absolutely pivotal. And I think it definitely keeps them in the realm of possibly being a Super Bowl contender. That's just how I see it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, more news with the Yankees. We are eating Josh Donaldson's $50 million he's due for the next two seasons. Mm. Yay. Yeah, you're furious. Oh, so mad. So, so mad. The catcher we just traded for that came in that deal is 24 years old, only played 98 major league games, struck out more than 20% of the times he was at the plate. Same batting average as Gary Sanchez. Same batting average as Gary Sanchez in the low 200s. So, good job, guys. Good job. Off to a hot start. The season hasn't even started yet. And you wanted me to talk about this stupid team. They brought it upon themselves. I, I just... I just don't understand. I, I just don't. 36, that, bro. $50 million. 36. You're going to pay a man $50 million by the time you're almost 40. I, it's fine. Just proceed. Fair enough. Fair enough. But we will keep it within the realm of the NFL. Uh, we do have to talk about Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson um, was not criminally charged in really the sexual misconduct case that he had been facing the last year or so. I believe that there were nine defendants that were possibly going to be in that suit if he was criminally charged uh, for that sexual misconduct uh, case. But he was found not guilty. They're not going to pursue criminal charges. And with that said, it has now opened up the floodgates to trade rumors across the board from the NFL. And really, that's kind of the point that we're trying to make here is we don't really know where he's going to go. Uh, There's been some rumors that he's potentially linked to teams like the Seattle Seahawks, teams like the New Orleans Saints. There's a bevy of teams that could definitely be looking at Deshaun Watson services going into this upcoming season. 
and adding somebody like Watson could definitely bolster the roster no matter where he goes. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, where do you think that Deshaun Watson is going to be traded to when it's all said and done? To be honest with you, I think Seattle is the best fit. I think he will end up a Seahawk because Seattle just got all those picks for Russell. Seattle still has their own picks. Seattle still has some cap space issues that they need to resolve, so they may trade some players with some draft picks to kind of alleviate and make up for what it is that they're going to inherit with Watson's contract this season, if that ends up happening. But in terms of offensively, uh, I think this is the best suited place because they have DK Metcalf, because they have Tyler Lockett and a couple of other, not no-name, but like lower-tiered level receivers um, that just make the most sense. They have a strong run game. The only issue is obviously they're going to have to build up that offensive line, which is a big reason why Russell wanted out in the first place. So it's not like Deshaun's going to be doing anything different. He was running for his life for the most part, for the majority of his career in uh, Houston. He's just going to be doing it again in a different conference across the country. So I, again, I think it makes the most sense. I mean, if you, if you look at what Houston was asking for when these trade rumors started last year, they wanted anywhere upwards of four to five first-round picks with personnel or pick swaps, if not all of that. So if you incorporate the two first-rounders that Denver gave uh, Seattle this week or last week, then you incorporate maybe one or two more, if not another first-round pick and then a second or third or maybe even both. You can accumulate five to six picks that aren't even necessarily yours to begin with because you got them for Russell. Use those assets, maybe throw in a pick or two of your own, and kind of bundle that up to throw towards Houston so that they can build for their future. Now, again, I'm not saying that Carolina is going to be ruled out of this, but I don't necessarily know what Carolina would have to offer outside of maybe Christian McCaffrey, which wouldn't make sense if you were bringing in an offensive weapon that would make McCaffrey better. But because I know that he's on the block because of injuries, and by he I mean Christian, um, we don't know what's going to happen. I know that, you know, Roby Anderson wanted to potentially reunite and go back to the Jets. But again, we don't know what's going to happen. Do they link and put uh, DJ Moore in there? Do they go out there and do they add a backup running back or a, uh, you know, a defensive lineman? Or I don't know. Do they try to re-sign and trade Stephon Gilmore? I have no idea what's going to happen. The point of the matter is what makes the most sense is Seattle because Seattle has the means to do it. But I would not rule out. Carolina because they have been in the mix for him since last season and I just think that it makes the most sense for him to go to one of those two but if I had to put my bottom dollar on it I think that Deshaun Watson will be a Seattle Seahawks. Kevin this is always a tricky one because you know trying to just basically speculate just based off the rumors that we've seen off the reports that from what I've seen I I could really kind of label it to three teams. Seattle's definitely one of them. I definitely got to throw Carolina in there. And then the third team that I would probably mention is probably the New Orleans Saints. And the one thing that all these teams have in common is that their quarterback position is either subpar or they're in a desperate situation to get somebody in the fold to upgrade that spot. And I think the point that you made about Seattle, I think is a good one because Seattle just traded Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos last week. They have a clear space that they need to fill at that position. And when you look at Deshaun Watson, He's only 26 years old. He's the same age as us, Kevin. And no matter what sort of draft capital that you have to give up to get Deshaun Watson, I think Seattle has to make that move just because Deshaun Watson is an instant game changer no matter where he goes. And I think when you look at what Deshaun Watson could bring to Seattle, for example, 
I think that team could definitely be a playoff contending team if they make those offensive line adjustments in whether it's in free agency, whether it's in the trade uh, market, whether it's in the NFL draft. Those are some things that they're going to have to address this offseason. So I definitely think Seattle is in contention. I think New Orleans is going to make a huge pitch to get Deshaun Watson simply because Houston is trying to trade out of conference. Usually that's how these trades go. That usually because team that's trading someone away, they don't want to deal with the guy that they traded within conference for the foreseeable future. So I think they may look to the NFC South to possibly trade him, whether it's the Saints, because the Saints, granted, they do have Jameis Winston, but Jameis is coming off of an ACL tear. Things didn't necessarily go well with Taysom Hill when he started to get some burn at the quarterback spot. So things are kind of in flux in New Orleans, and I do think that bringing someone in like Deshaun Watson into the fold, I think it could re-energize that entire team now that Drew Brees is gone, now that Sean Payton is no longer there anymore. Deshaun Watson could definitely be that spark plug to make New Orleans relevant again just because the Buccaneers have pretty much owned that division since Brady has started playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then when you mentioned teams like Carolina, I think Carolina's kind of in a very similar situation that New Orleans is in. They brought in Sam Darnold last year, and Sam Darnold, I think he's a decent quarterback when he's in a decent system, but it hasn't really materialized in anything significant throughout the early parts of his career. It didn't work out in New York. Didn't necessarily go his way in Carolina his first year. I don't know if things are going to improve if they try to retain him going into the second season, if he were to stay another season in Carolina. But you look at Deshaun, and Deshaun would be an immediate upgrade over Sam Darnold. And I really think that that RPO option that they can run with Christian McCaffrey and Deshaun Watson, potentially, I think it would be a nightmare defensively for whatever team is going up against the Carolina Panthers if they were able to trade for Deshaun. Just, I think all in all, the Carolina one would be kind of interesting because Carolina has some pretty skilled wide receivers at their disposal. Robbie Anderson's really kind of the one to mention off the top of my head. But I, I think when it, when it comes down to it, I think it's going to be one of those three teams. I think it's either going to be Seattle. I think it's going to be New Orleans. I think it's going to be Carolina. And if I had to pick one just just to kind of pick one, Kevin, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's Seattle because I think Seattle's in a sense of desperation because they traded away Russell Wilson. They need to bring someone in. And I think when you bring someone in like Deshaun Watson, I think it would be an instant energizer for that team and that fan base. That's not to discredit like him possibly going to Carolina or New Orleans. I just think that Seattle's in a desperate situation. And I think they'll do whatever it takes, no matter what the package is, as far as the draft capital goes to send to Houston to get Deshaun Watson. That's just how I see it. Dude, he is an immense upgrade no matter where he goes. The issue is, what are these teams able to give up to acquire him? We talked about this as we were preparing this episode. Houston is genuinely sitting back right now, and their phones are ringing off the hook. Their emails are blowing up. They have full, 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 full advantage of every single scenario in this case. And they're going to wait until they hear the right offer. Now, whether or not there's a blind suitor or like a suitor in the, in the shadows kind of giving them something in their ear, we're not going to find out for a little bit. The only reason we're saying Seattle right now is because of everything they just received and what they just lost. 
Now, if you throw in the actual needs of specific teams, I wouldn't put it past New Orleans to start a brand new generation and say, you know what? We just lost Breeze. We got to throw the book at this kid. Michael Thomas would be happy. He would end up wanting to stay. Maybe Armstrong, the left guard or the left tackle, whatever offensive lineman it is. Um, is it Armstrong or Armstead? You know what it's I'm trying Armstead. to say. It's that, Armstead. So I think that he would be inclined to take a pay cut to play with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson's uh, caliber. I think that the other players on that Saints roster, like, you know, that, that safety that's uh, it's available right now. Oh, my goodness. Is it Marcus Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it, is it Marshawn, they, uh, Marshawn Lattimore? Marshawn Lattimore took his extension already, so he's there. But I'm saying um, overall there are players on that team that may reconsider if they go out and make a, a trade like that. Who, who, who's to say maybe Deshaun Watson doesn't end up in uh, Carolina and they find out a per- and they find a perfect uh, suitable trade for him? So I, as much as I want him to go to Seattle just because I feel like he fits the best, dude, in a situation like this, I don't think I've ever seen a team so in control like Houston is right now because genuinely they've been trying to trade him for a little bit under a year because obviously when everything had just broke, they said that they were declining all offers from everybody. And then as the season went on and the legal cases kind of proceeded, they were fielding offers, listening to things. So they've literally kind of been waiting by the phone for so long at this point that now that people are calling them back, I know that that front office is going ape shit trying to figure out where they want to send this man. Well, and the good thing for Deshaun is that, you know, obviously, you know, beating a case is one thing, you know, it's, you know, that kind of goes without saying. But, you know, when you look at this from just a pure football perspective, he's coming in fresh. Missed the entire season last year, is going to be ready to go, and I imagine he's itching to get back on the field just because, dude, ultimate competitor. When he's out in the field, that dude can make things happen. I mean, for God's sakes, they got he was able to get the Houston Texans to an AFC divisional game not that long ago. Granted, they lost that game to the Kansas City Chiefs, but when I look at this roster, you know, with what Houston has, I mean, Deshaun was really the guy that was holding that franchise up basically single-handedly. And even though that it, it's not going to work out with Houston in the long run, that doesn't mean that Deshaun Watson's at fault. Deshaun Watson held up that team for as long as he could. And I think wherever he goes, it's going to be a clean new slate. It's going to be a fresh start. And if it's with a contending team, granted, we'll kind of see how it goes. But when I look at the three teams that we kind of like went over, I think that Seattle would be a playoff team if they get Deshaun into the fold or they could at least threaten to be one. I think that the Saints could be definitely a team that could threaten to make the playoffs if they were to get him. And I think Carolina is kind of in that same boat as well. I think wherever he goes, that team could potentially be a playoff team when it's all said and done if they pull the trigger for Deshaun Watson. So it'll be exciting. It'll be I think it's going to happen fairly soon. I think it's going to happen within the next week or so. Within the week, yeah. I agree completely. I think that they got to act on this quickly because the league year starts, I believe, on the 16th, which is Wednesday. So Mm -hmm. they're going to have to make a move or Houston is going to have to pay him what they owe him in guaranteed money for making the active roster. So I say this happens probably tomorrow or Tuesday. Yeah, I I think if it's like I said, if I had to guess, I would say that he's going to Seattle, but it would not shock me if he goes either to the Saints or or he goes to Carolina. It's just kind of how I see it, but it'll be very interesting to see how this whole situation plays out. Now, with that said, we'll keep it within the realm of the NFL. We're going to talk a little bit about Amari Cooper. 
Now, Amari Cooper was traded from the Dallas Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns just a couple days ago. I know Kevin is smirking because he knows the uh, the recent experiences of uh, top flight wide receivers, Cleveland, specifically Odell Beckham, haven't really kind of panned out that well. With that said, I mean, Amari Cooper is coming off of a down year compared to what he did in 2020. He was still productive, though. He was able to get about eight touchdowns last season, had about 800 yards receiving. But compared to 2020, that season he had over 1,100 yards receiving and almost 100 receptions. So kind of a down year from Amari, and I think that may have been a factor to why he was traded just a dip in production. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just what was your overall feeling of Amari Cooper being traded from the Dallas Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns? I said there goes another career that the Browns are going to you know, take away from somebody. There goes another wide receiver that is going to waste the years of his prime. There goes somebody that's just not going to be productive in the most important years of his life. He got the bag early on in his career. Thankfully, Dallas gave him that $100 million contract, and he's owed $20 million for the foreseeable future for the next three years. So Cleveland is locked into that contract no matter what. Um, it's not that I don't have faith that Amari can't do it. It's not that I have faith that I don't have faith in his ability to play or what he brings to the table. But there have been reports multiple times that he seems disinterested in playing. There are teams where there are instances where he did not seem like he wanted to put any effort when I guess maybe he knew the ball wasn't going to him or a play wasn't schemed or designed for him. I know that there were rumors that, you know, he was kind of mad that CD was taking some of his shine. So in retrospect, at the end of the day, I mean, I guess the trade made sense. And with Jarvis Landry wanting out of Cleveland and Odell Beckham obviously leaving the way that he did last year and Baker Mayfield coming off of shoulder surgery and of course you know rumors that they're not going to re-sign him next season when his rookie deal is up again this just looks like another wasted career of a young potential star player in this league and it's sad because we all know what Amari can do when healthy we know what Amari can do when his head is in the game completely I mean you can make the argument and it's not really much of an argument depending on how much you watch football. Amari Cooper is in the discussion for the best route runner in the NFL. Like, he was getting those praises in college at Alabama. And mind you, he wasn't even drafted yet. And they were saying he was one of the best wide receiver prospects to ever come out of college. So when you look at the grand scheme of things, it's not like he can't do it. Again, we have no doubt of his ability to play. It's just there are too many instances where he kind of shows that he kind of just doesn't really give a shit anymore and with Baker not being able to do what he needed to do with Odell on his team and Cleveland kind of faltering last season I don't have much faith that Amari's going to do anything meaningful over there he's just going to probably collect the check he might have a couple good games here and there but overall I think that kind of wraps it up for Amari's career I think that kind of wraps it up for him getting a big paycheck ever again and you know it's kind of sad but at the same time it is what it is. The NFL is a business. Yeah, but I share a similar sentiment in regards to what I think Amari's tenure is going to be in Cleveland. I'm just not going, I'm not going to go as far as to say like his career is just over. Like this is it. Like his career is going to go die in Cleveland. I'm not going to go that far yet. Now, I think when it comes to this trade that Dallas did with Amari Cooper, I think it was solely because I think they get him off their books. And I think it was coming off of the heels of a dip in production because in 2020, he had over 1,100 yards receiving, had almost 100 receptions. But this past season, there was definitely a dip in production where he only had about 800 yards receiving. Granted, he did have eight touchdowns compared to the five that he had in 2020. But overall, 
you didn't see that same type of production in back-to-back years that I think Dallas was expecting. And I think Dallas got a decent trade offer from Cleveland. I think they just pulled the trigger with it. I, I think Amari, it's like you said, Amari is one of the best route runners in the game. It's just the breaks that he makes on his cuts, the fact that he's able to get separation. Those are great aspects, and those are great features of what you're looking for in a wide receiver. And hopefully that Cleveland gets that top-flight Amari Cooper that we've seen in Dallas for the last couple of seasons. I'm just not convinced that it's going to happen, and I think it's solely because of what Baker Mayfield is putting out in the field. This has nothing to do with Amari's athletic ability. I don't think that anybody is questioning that because he he's a great receiver. It's just that I don't think he's going to thrive with Baker Mayfield throwing him the ball, and it's simply just because when you look at recent history, Odell Beckham was a top-flight receiver for the Browns and was neglected significantly throughout his entire tenure because Baker didn't really want to throw him the ball that often. He would throw it to other wide receivers like Jarvis Landry, Donovan Donovan Peoples-Jones, and maybe David Njoku. But, you know, you look at Odell, Odell was definitely not in the mix of targets, and I don't know if Amari's going to be in that same situation that Odell was in, but Cleveland was kind of an up-and-down team last year. There were times where they may have flirted with being a playoff team, but they just lacked consistency in getting wins when they needed to get them. I do think that Amari can definitely bring a solid piece to that wide receiver core when it does seem like Jarvis Landry is going to be on the way out via a trade. It's just that, is Amari going to be better than what we saw in Dallas? And I just don't think there's a lot of motivation there just because... Cleveland's not really in a win mode right now. They're not a great team overall. And I think by and large, it's like you said, maybe a couple games here and there, he'll be able to pop off, get over 100 yards receiving, maybe a touchdown or two. It's just that I don't really see a lot of production from Amari, and it may go to his demeanor just simply saying, is he going to be interested enough to play for a team like the Cleveland Browns? I'm not 100% convinced of that. And I think when it's all said and done, I think if it's better for him, I hope that his tenure with the Cleveland Browns is short. That way he can get out, possibly get to a contending team before his career does come to an end and showcase what he has left. But the guy's in the midst of his prime right now. He's 27 years old. To go to a team like Cleveland, it's really disappointing for me. And hopefully he proves me wrong. Hopefully he goes out there and lights it up for Cleveland this year. I'm just not convinced because I don't think Baker's the guy to be able to to get Amari to that top flight level that we all expect him based off of his athletic ability. I just don't think that the production is going to be there. And that's just how I see it. It's uh, like Baker has the potential to be a good quarterback. Like we have seen Baker make some good throws, some good decisions. I mean, not last year, but the season before he had taken a real big step up in terms of limiting his turnovers, finding ways to capitalize and put his team in positions to win. And of course, just, play good quality quarterback football. Mm-hmm. And then you have seasons like last year where you battle with injuries and then the whole Odell situation and just so much that kind of came all with that. You're like, well, now Baker's got a bad reputation for not being able to carry the load or shoulder the load. Um, and now Amari Cooper's coming, but Odell left and J- Jarvis wants to leave and they just tagged in Joku. And there's just so much stuff going on in Cleveland. I can't get behind Amari Cooper giving it his all for a team that 
quite frankly, can't even figure itself out. They're going for a potential AFC championship just two years ago to last year absolutely falling apart. And it's like, I don't really have faith that Amari's going to want to even play for them. Like you said, I mean, I feel like at this point he needs to get traded somewhere else because I feel like he'll go a season, maybe a season and a half where he's just like not really giving a shit. And then they're going to have to move him because of his lack of production. And I don't know what team is going to get him next or even if they trade him. But if he doesn't change that mentality, he's not going to last very long in this game, regardless of the fact that you have the athletic ability to create separation. You need to be dialed in every game, all game. And that's just for any position. You can't pick and choose what days you show up to work. I hate athletes that do that in any sport, let alone a football player where your season's already every game matters. It's a 17-game season. You can't afford to take a playoff. Well, I think the motivation to play is still there. It's just I think when you end up on a team like Cleveland, and Cleveland, I mean, let's face it, are they really a team that is threatening for the top of the AFC next season? No. They're not even threatening to own their own division in the AFC North. I mean, honestly, you can make a case that they're going to be at the bottom end of the spectrum for the AFC North next season just because Cincinnati just came off of a Super Bowl appearance this past season. Baltimore is going to get Lamar Jackson fully healthy, even though that team was 8-3 and three before he got hurt, and then they just kind of fell apart at the end. And then you look at the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers did make the playoffs last season. Granted, they'll have uh, a big absence to fill now that Ben Roethlisberger has retired. But Cleveland's really kind of looking on the outside in right now. And, you know, when you bring somebody in like Amari Cooper, it's definitely bolstering the wide receiving core. But is Baker going to be effective next season? Granted, he did get the, the shoulder surgery or he's going he's recovering from it. But overall, I just... I don't have a lot of faith that Cleveland is going to really make that push to be super competitive next year. Maybe Amari does it, and hopefully he proves me wrong because, you know, I want to see Amari succeed. I think we both want him to succeed. It's just that I don't think Cleveland's the place where he's going to be able to maximize his talents, and I just don't see that. No, but, not at all. But to kick it to another conference, this will be the last uh, NFL topic that we go over, go over. It is going to be Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins did... Uh, extend his contract with the Minnesota Vikings. So he signed a one-year deal, a one-year extension, upwards of $35 million. And Kirk Cousins statistically is coming off one of his better seasons, if not his best season in his entire career last year. Had almost 35 touchdowns, only had seven interceptions. Had a phenomenal year, despite the fact that Minnesota as a team wasn't really that good overall. They didn't make the playoffs. When you're playing against a team like the Packers in their own division, definitely tough competition to go up against. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you think the Vikings extending Kirk Cousins for another year was the right decision overall? 100%. You need to solidify the quarterback position. We know that Kirk Cousins is the quarterback for the Vikings to be able to get it done. Now, he is not a quarterback that takes big risks, but he does take advantage of uh, opportunities. Justin Jefferson is there, Adam Thielen is there, Dalvin Cook is there, and he knows when to throw and when to dump off and when to hand off at the right times, and that's huge. You need a quarterback that has uh, great decision-making. You need a quarterback that's very uh, aware of his you know, presence in the pocket as well as what receivers are open downfield. And when you have a top-five receiver in Justin Jefferson, which I firmly believe he will catapult himself into that this season or this upcoming season, um, it makes life a little bit easier. 
this is going to be his third year with this offense in terms of everybody that's currently actively on it. And obviously that's, I mean, the trio of who I just named with, you know, Thielen, Jefferson, and Cook. Uh, I think that this is the best thing for Minnesota. They guarantee him his money. They give him the upfront signing bonus. They give him the no trade clause for the safety. So he's not going to get moved throughout the season. And this gives Minnesota about $14 million in cap space that they didn't have before because they had to adjust it give them kind of like a gap year or a, 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 void year, a void year, whatever the hell they call it, where they just pay him uh, money for, uh, like, I believe, an empty season. And they now have room to go out and acquire some kind of free agents. Now, I don't know what they're going to be able to do with their available cap. I don't know what they're going to do in the draft. But first and foremost, they got to protect Kirk. I think that if you keep him upright, he can lead you down the field and, 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 and win you some games. But the biggest thing that Minnesota needs to do is solidify that defense. The biggest reason why Minnesota lost most of their games is because they were up, but there was too much time on the clock and the defense was unable to stop any kind of offense, no matter who it was. If you give them a competent defense, just a mediocre to halfway decent defense, this team is a playoff team. Kyle and I said early on in the year that their record did not reflect the skill or the capabilities of this team. And that started with Kirk Cousins. Him having the season that he did just showed it wasn't his fault. It wasn't like he threw 34 touchdowns, but he had 15 interceptions because he had to take the gambles. He only had seven. That's the best touchdown to interception ratio in the NFL next to Carson Wentz last year throwing 27 and seven. So you look at it and you say, well, if they have a quarterback like that, why the hell are they losing? Without a defense, you're not really going to go many places in this league, especially in an offensively driven league. So Kirk getting his extension, Kirk getting the money, and then moving it around to places where they can give themselves some availability and financial relief. I think it was smart. Kudos on their front office for getting it done because Minnesota was also in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes just a week ago before he had actually been cleared of his criminal charges. So this locks him down for another season, if not two seasons, because he has this year and next year. So the next two years, he's good. And Minnesota can now focus on building around him and competing for a Lombardi trophy. Kevin, there's not really much left for me to add. I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. It's just when you look at Kirk Cousins and you look at his entire career, I think it goes without saying that the best Kirk Cousins that we've seen has been in a Minnesota Vikings jersey. When you look at the entire scope of his career, pretty much outside of one year with him playing in Minnesota, he's thrown for 30 touchdowns or more. And when you look at his passer rating, statistically, He's coming off pretty much a career high last year. I think it was the second highest uh, last year compared to 2020. I think that was actually his higher, highest passer rating that he ever put up in a single year throughout his career. And I think it's to, it, it specifically goes to the fact that he has great weapons at his disposal, like you mentioned with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook out of the backfield. I like this kid, KJ Osborne, as like that third option for the wide receiving court. He's nice. He doesn't get a lot of shine. I definitely want to give him some respect just because he's been able to make some big plays for Minnesota, despite the fact that Minnesota as a whole, they've kind of struggled as a unit just because the defense is porous. But overall, Kirk Cousin makes the Vikings a viable team. Now, I'm not saying that this is a team that is going to go to the playoffs next year. I'm not saying that they're going to compete for an NFC championship game this year. They're nowhere near that. But if you had somebody else outside of Kirk Cousins running that quarterback position, Minnesota would probably be looking at like a top five, top 10 pick next year. And that's really the difference is that Kirk Cousins, 
he adds a layer of stability to that quarterback spot. He's been playing up to snuff the last couple years. And even though that, like I said, Minnesota struggles as a whole, it could be a hell of a lot worse. And I think overall, I think Minnesota, they have to find some ways to just be competitive with Green Bay because Green Bay is obviously their biggest competition in the NFC North. Really, Green Bay has had a basically a lock on that division for the last decade with Aaron Rodgers in the fold. And the Vikings front office, they have to find a way to bolster this defense. They've got Kirk Cousins locked up for the least this year and next year. They just have to find a way to bring in some pieces to make that defense just a better unit overall. Just because if that defense is even like a top 20, a top 15 defense, you could say that the Vikings could be a team that could threaten to make the playoffs next season. But because that they're one of the worst defenses statistically, and they've been like that for the last couple of years, it's going to be tough for me to see any sort of way for the Vikings to make the playoffs next year. But I do think that re-signing Kirk Cousins to that deal was absolutely pivotal. It maintains the stability at that quarterback spot. And maybe if they make some moves this offseason, maybe it makes them more viable. But I think getting Kirk Cousins extended was a big deal. And I think it's something that the Vikings, they had to do. And I think that's smart on their part. And that's just how I see it. Yeah, I like Kirk Cousins. I mean, I've never had really an, an issue with him. I loved him, especially after that uh, that comeback win he led in Washington. He was like, you like that? Like, his attitude, his his energy that he brings to the game, I, I've always kind of respected that. And, uh, of course, now that, you know, he's kind of locked in, he gets his money. And, you know, he was one of those people that said from the jump, I'm not I'm not giving you guys a pay cut. I need my money. And, yeah. you know, I, I can't – you know, I can't be upset when players say that. I mean, Minnesota's not in a place to win, and they needed to help in other reasons. And the fact that he was kind of like in the rumor mill to be traded and Indianapolis was tied to that as well, trying to go and acquire him over the last, I think, 24 to 48 hours. I saw some reports. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to kind of fold on my money either. Hey, if you're going to get rid of me, you might as well sign me and trade me because I'm not folding. And if not, I'll opt out and I'll I'll become a free agent straight up. And, and the thing is, like, when it comes to Kirk Cousins – Kirk Cousins is a decent quarterback. I think we can, can above all average. That. Let's let's give him a little bit more respect. Definitely above average. But is he a difference maker to like where that team is going to be like catapulted to like a legitimate contender in the NFC? Not really. But I I don't know how much I could really put that on Kirk. Exactly. Kirk, Kirk is doing what he needs to do. It's just that for some odd reason, Kirk has like good stretches throughout parts of the season, but there are times where he has some really bad games. There are times where he can go out there and throw two or three interceptions. Not saying yeah. that, you know, a lot of quarterbacks have those games every now and then, but I, I've liked the the progression that I've seen in Kirk's game. I think finally being in a stable uh, position with the Vikings, I think when you have that stability, I think it adds a layer of security knowing that, okay, at least I know that I'm going to be here for a while. This is not going to be like, okay, I'm only here for a year or two, and then I'm looking somewhere else um, for another spot. So I think, you know, they have a good situation on the offensive side of the ball. I think he's got great weapons to throw to. I think they've been able to kind of lock down that chemistry, and that's huge with young wide receivers like Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen's kind of, he's been there. Like, he's the experienced guy on that offense because he's he's been there his entire career. 
But I think Kirk's found a good place with the Vikings. Hopefully he turns into some sort of playoff success because I do think that the Vikings, they do add some uh, defensive pieces on that side of the ball. I think they could definitely threaten to make the playoffs, but that defense is just so porous, bro. It's bad side of the ball. That's really what's holding the team back. Yeah, obviously that's their biggest thing. We've been saying it for a while now. We said it all last season. Give them a competent average defense. Who who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, playing what-ifs can obviously roll us down a dark rabbit hole that ends up going to an eternity. So let's just uh, kind of wrap this up into our last final topic that I'm going to have to swallow. Awesome. Awesome. But... <sighs> Yeah, I wish you used yeah. a better word there. I wish you, yeah. Whatever. But I'm going to have to take on the chin, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, I understand that. But, no, like Kevin said, uh, our last segment is going to be an NBA-related one. Now, Kevin is one of the most diehard Maverick fans that I've ever come across. I think Kevin might actually be the only Mavericks fan that I've known that has been a Mavericks fan for as long as I've known. And... Kevin made some comments about the recent trade that went down involving Kristaps Porzingis, Spencer Dinwiddie, and David Bertans, where Kevin let it sing. Kevin definitely did not hold back in his criticism for Dallas making that trade for Spencer Dinwiddie and David Bertans, or Davis Bertans, excuse me. And since that trade has gone down, Spencer Dinwiddie has been playing pretty solid basketball. He actually knocked down the game-winning shot against the Boston Celtics this past weekend and a huge road win for the Mavericks over the Celtics. Mavericks are sitting kind of like in that middle position in the Western Conference as a whole. Granted, Luke has been a huge driver of that, but Spencer didn't when he has really been playing solid basketball for the Mavericks overall. And Kevin, I got to get your thoughts. What do you think Spencer Dinwiddie has provided for the Mavericks? since he was traded to Dallas just a couple weeks ago? Well, you know, first and foremost, I want to give my apologies. I was harsh at the beginning. Um, Obviously, I was very critical of Spencer's injury uh, history. I was critical of, you know, the Mavericks front office. And uh, Nico Harrison's big first decision as a GM goes and trades our second best player. So, um, again, I will, I, will, I will take this one on the chin and say that I was wrong, at least as of right now. I'm still cautious because we still have a, a ways to go before the playoffs. But um, since he has been on this team, he's been averaging 17.5 points, shooting over 50% from the field, uh, just under 45% from three, and averaging about five assists a game. And he's coming off the bench. So, you know, the game winner today, the 36 against Sacramento, the performance he was able to put up against Golden State. Um, I, I can't knock him. I can't critique him. I can't say that he's not doing enough. I can't say that he's doing too little. In the opportunities that he's been given, he's gone out there and he's been a professional. He's scored the basketball. He's been able to make that extra pass. He's been able to defend very well. He's been able to rebound the basketball. And he's been coming off the bench for the majority of his, you know, stand in Dallas as of right now because, you know, our starting five is, you know, Luca, JB, Dorian Finney-Smith, Dwight Powell. And depending on who you want to kind of throw in there, either Reggie Bullock or when Tim Hardaway was healthy, you'd put Tim in there. But Jason Kidd implementing him as our sixth man gives us relief for our second unit. He gives us another ball handler who can create for others. He gives us somebody that can actually create his own shot. And as of right now, that's exactly what he's been doing when Luca's off the floor. Now, when him, Jalen, and Luca are on the floor together, that is a very 
difficult trio to guard because each of them can create for themselves while at the same time find the other in an open corner, uh, you know, at the top of the key, wherever it is. And we all know Luca's the predominant ball handler on this team. But when you incorporate Spencer's ability to kind of like take the pressure off of him, we've had everything on Jalen Brunson's shoulders for pretty much the entire first half of this year. Spencer's been in this league for quite some time. I believe he was drafted in, I believe, 2014. So it's, he's no stranger to having to shoulder the load. We all know what he was able to do in Brooklyn. We also know what he was able to do in Washington when he was traded there also. Now, injuries, I will stand by, have been plaguing him as of recently. But from what I understand, he was on a minute restriction this season in Washington. He was still kind of battling the, the swelling of his knee uh, after games. He was still taking days off on back-to-backs. So I believe now that he seems to be getting better, if not fully healthy, from what I'm understanding in the post-game interviews, I would say that he's now catching, not fire, but getting comfortable at the right time. And Dallas is at, you know kind of powering their way through the Western Conference, aside from our embarrassing loss against the Knicks the other day. Um, we've done very well in capturing wins against some key teams in the Western Conference to give us an opportunity to increase our seeding. And a lot of that have been has been because of Spencer Dinwiddie's play. So again... I will own up to it. As of right now, I've been proven wrong, and I'm hoping that I stay wrong. Now, the the the, the Davis Bertans trade piece is still in the air because he's playing like absolute dog shit. But you know, I think KP played his first game earlier this week, if not early on, uh, later in the week last week, like Friday or Thursday, and he had 25 points and two or three blocks. So you know, shout out to KP. I hope he has a great career or a great rest of his tenure in Washington. But We'll see how it kind of evens out. But as of right now, um, Spencer Dinwiddie, I do apologize. You are playing absolutely phenomenal, and I'm very much appreciative of it. Yeah, I mean, granted, I don't follow the Mavericks as closely as you do. I definitely pay attention to you know, what he's able to put on the court on a nightly basis when he gets his opportunities. But from what I've seen so far, he's been knocking down shots consistently. And for somebody who's dealt with some lingering knee issues, and trust me, the knee issues can always be something that are just flat out a bitch to deal with. For him to go out and basically shoot 50%, new team, got to get used to how that offensive system is run. For him to be knocking down shots around 50% this early on after that trade with Washington and Dallas went down, I got to give the man credit for that. Because it's like you said, Injuries have kind of plagued him throughout most of his career so far. Even though that I've always thought that Spencer Dinwiddie was an above-average player, it's just when the injury bug is just lingering around a person, around a player like that, that's just something that you just hate to see because it could derail somebody's career in that respect. But I like the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie, dude, mentally strong up here because he does not let that injury bug slight or get him off track in any way, shape, or form. And he's able to perform in a significant manner for the Mavs. And I think when you look at what he's been able to produce so far in his stint with Dallas, I think he's gone above and beyond what they were originally expecting. Because I don't know how much faith they had in him when they originally made the trade. Enough so that they could pull the trigger on it. But... You know, I imagine that there was probably a little bit of skepticism initially when possibly making that trade package uh, for KP and Dinwiddie was involved. But overall, I'm seeing he's going out there scoring 15, 20 points a game. Like you mentioned, had that 30 piece uh, just a couple of days ago, the game winner against Boston. I mean, these are big performances that he's giving Dallas. And who knows? I mean, there could be a chance that Dallas could retain him 
longer than just this season. Maybe it's just a rental. We don't really know what Dallas's uh, future plans with him are. And Dinwiddie, who knows if he plays his cards right, he goes out and balls out for the latter half of this season with Dallas. He could be looking at a solid payday down the road. I don't know how much, how big it's going to be down the road, but if he continues his play the way that he has. It's a solid piece to add to your roster, whether it's with Dallas after this season or, you know, potentially somewhere else. But I think overall... Well, he's locked in for the next three, though. So he's with us for a while. Just depends if Dallas wants to keep him. Well, I mean, we're not trading him. He's locked in contract-wise. He's owed $56 million within the next three years. We're not trading him. That's that's if they decide to keep him and not trade him down the road. Oh, 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 yeah, as uh, as a as a, an attractive piece for another deal. Yeah, I thought you meant like leave, lose him in free agency. Well, I mean, since we've gotten him, we're nine and two. Yeah. So I mean, so I can't complain. No, overall, I mean, it's just I don't really know what Dallas's intentions are. Are they just bringing him on to kind of give him some burn, build up some trade value in him, and then possibly send him off somewhere? That's how Can we trade Bertrands too? Because it's just they seem like a one-two deal. If that's the case, I don't want to trade Spencer right now because he's he's playing really, really well, good basketball. And, and the thing that I'm kind of keeping in mind is is that I imagine you know let's say he kind of keeps up this production for the next year, maybe two. He would get a decent contract when he's due up for a contract extension. Now, granted, he's I believe 28 years old right now. I think if, if I I'm not my, mistaken, yeah, I, I think he's 27, he's 28. Not, He's 94. Yeah, so he's 27, 28 years old. So, I mean, he's still relatively young. Yeah. I mean, granted, you know, those injury bugs, it, they may seem, like, players may seem older than what they actually are when they've been dealing with a bunch of injuries. But for somebody who's probably going to be 30 years old when they're going to get their contract extension, that's prime. Prime of their career. Now, hopefully Spencer doesn't deal with any major injuries moving forward. You know, you always knock on wood for that. But I'm saying, like, a, a payday could come for Spencer if he plays his cards right. Yeah, I would agree. But, you know, all in all, I mean, have the Mavs played up to your expectations? Or have they even surpassed it with how they've played this season? Well, I can't say that they've done awful. Um, it's hard because every time I watch it, it seems to be one of those games where we're struggling. I don't know if that's just kind of my luck. But... When we play competitive teams like Golden State, like Phoenix, uh, like the Jazz, we can keep up with the best of them. I mean, honestly, our defense is uh, top five in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Last I checked, we're one of the top three overall defenses, which is just something I'm not used to seeing as a Mavericks fan. Um, I like how Jason Kidd has come into this um, not necessarily favored or not necessarily um, given much faith or credit. Uh, From myself included, I didn't really like the signing. And he's completely turned around this this team's mentality. So, I mean, defense first leads to offense. My biggest thing, man, I, I say it to you, I say it to my girl, I say it to everybody. As generational as Luca is, he needs to shut his mouth. He flails and flops and argues with refs after every single call. I mean, that entire Knicks game, he was just complaining. That leads to him not getting back on defense. That leads to him getting on the ref's bad side. That leads to him getting in his own mind and getting more and more frustrated. Dude, you're 23. You've been in this league four years now. Can you just get it? They're not going to call everything. You can't, like, you yelling at the ref doesn't do anything for the play that just ended. 
get your fat ass back on defense. Granted, he's lost some weight since the weight thing has been a thing again, but I'm just saying, get your ass back on defense and do what you need to do. I'm tired of it. He is probably one of our best assets, if not obviously our best asset, but he's one of our biggest weaknesses. He never gets back on transition, and he's always getting teed up. He's two technical fouls away from getting suspended, and we are still a good six weeks out from the postseason. Like, there is zero reason for you to be arguing with referees at this point. You need to keep quiet because this carries into the postseason. You get another tech or two more techs, any tech you get after that, you miss, you miss games. I, can't, I cannot, cannot handle if he gets suspended because of his own mouth. But as a, as a team, I think we're doing pretty good. Better than what I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, you guys are middle of the pack in the Western Conference. It's just that. Yeah, we're tied right now for fourth. And uh, I think we have the tiebreaker over Utah because I think if I read correctly, we are 42. Yeah, we're we're 42 and 26, but Utah is 42 and 25. So they're up by a half game in terms of mathematics, but we've beaten them the last two or three times we faced them. So It's just that nobody's really going to catch Phoenix at this point. Phoenix is just nah, so far ahead. They already the clinched the playoff berth. They're the first yeah. team. And they only have, I think, what, 13 losses as a team this entire 14, year? 14 they lost 14. today. Oh, no, yeah. you guys played them right now. They lost yesterday. Yeah, yeah. They were going to smoke the lake. They, they were smoking them the entire night. So Hey, but what did I say? I know we're not talking about that right now. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. This Chris Paul thing is affecting them for sure. They're not doing as hot as they were. Well, here's what I'll say. Because I watched them play against Miami Heat the other day. Now, granted, the Heat didn't have Jimmy Butler in the game, and that was definitely a major factor. Dude, they spanked him. And Miami's the best team in the Eastern Conference, as far as their record goes. It was over in the second half. Because I look at it like this. If I remember that game correctly, I think that the Heat scored around like 50 points in the first half. They scored 25 to 30 points in the entire second half. Phoenix held them to like under 85 points. Now, granted, Jimmy wasn't there. That's a huge factor. Phoenix, I think, won that game by like 20. Now against the number one team in the Eastern Conference without Chris Paul. So I'm just saying. Like, when I, I look I saw, at, all I saw was their falter just a little bit. That's all I said. No, 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 I, I take that point uh, gladly because I think had Chris Paul, you know, stayed on the roster, I think right now they'd probably be what? They probably only have like maybe like 11 or 12 losses. You probably take two of those losses away if Chris Paul's on the floor. It's just that, dude, overall, dude, their roster is just stacked. Yeah. They just, they just have a very well-rounded roster. I mean, you know, a, a lot of shine goes to like Devin Booker, uh, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul. But, dude, their role players have been invaluable for them this season. I mean, Cameron Payne's been great this year. Mikhail Bridges has been solid this year. Jay Crowder. Boy from UNC has been popping off. I know what I'm saying. Like, I mean, overall, like, they're just a good, well-rounded team. And I really do think Monty Williams, he should be the coach of the year this year. It shouldn't even be close. I know last year he was kind of in the running for it. Didn't Tom Thibodeau get it last year with the next? Yeah. Monty deserves it this year because that team is – Far and away, the best team in the NBA this year. Now, granted, we'll see what happens when it comes to the playoffs, but overall, dude, they've been phenomenal this year. And really, I I don't think we've given enough credit to Monty this season because Monty has been, ever since he's arrived to Phoenix, I don't know what it is, 
he just seems to relate and connect to those players better than really anybody that's come through Phoenix recently as far as their head coaching, their head coaches go. So Monty's figured it out. These players have bought in. And I mean, the team is competing for a finals this year. They have all the pieces to make that happen this year. I know we don't we don't really talk a lot about the Suns. We we've talked about them in passing here and there, but do you think by and large, do you think people are kind of sliding on Phoenix just because they're not getting a lot of talk about them? Like they're not receiving enough talk from like a nationwide perspective? I don't know, honestly. I've kind of been off my sports center game lately, and I know typically whoever is on sports center the most frequent is usually who's getting the, the mass global media, and that's usually the Lakers because they're just struggling it's, right it's, now. Well, it's Braun. You know, Braun gets a lot of attention. Exactly. But, you know, if I have to be honest personally, I don't think they're not being – I don't think they're being underappreciated or kind of like slated because they've been the number one seed pretty much all year long, and it's been consistent. I mean, we're talking 14 losses in – 67 games. That is absolutely insane. They have done everything they've needed to do. They're dominating the conference. They're winning at home. They're dominating away. Maybe because they're not a big marketed team. Maybe because they're not in LA. Maybe because they're not in New York. They're not getting, I guess, like regular attention. But in terms of consistent attention, I know I've been hearing and seeing just, you know, Phoenix is looking to go back. Phoenix is looking to get revenge. Like, Dude, they're they're cooking and they're getting enough attention, at least in my eyes. I, I mean, to me, because like here's the thing that I kind of base it off of, and I and I know this is kind of like gone off into our own little tangent here, as but, it normally does. But when you look at like the major topics that a lot of sports shows talk about, you know, I, I mean, you know, when it comes to the major topics, it's always like LeBron related, like Kevin Durant. Related, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, maybe Nikola Jokic. Like, those are kind of like the main topics that you hear from most of, you know, the mainstream sports shows. I don't think they're getting the same coverage. They're not giving the same coverage to the Suns like they are with those, like, individual players or individual teams. And it may be a market thing, like you mentioned, just because, you know, LeBron's in L.A., Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, um, they're in New York. James Harden is in Philly. Those are more bigger markets. Phoenix is a a medium market at best. But, I mean, I feel like Devin Booker, for some odd reason, like, like he's a superstar. Like, he plays up to that level. And it's just, I don't think that he gets, like, a lot of media attention because he doesn't really, like, ask for it. He's just going out there and doing his job, and he has a very laid-back demeanor about it. I don't know why. Like, I get a very similar, like, vibe from him, like, to Clay Thompson. Like, they both kind of have, like, a laid-back personality. They're just vibing. They're just chilling. But they go out there, and they'll hang up 35, 40 points in just the coolest demeanor possible. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it's just – I don't know what it is. It's just the Suns, by and large, I, I think they, they don't get the media coverage that they deserve because – they don't really generate a lot of headlines outside of just going out there and winning. So that's just kind of how I see it from just kind of like a a bigger perspective when it comes to the media coverage that they deserve. And I think a part of it is the fact that they're a smaller market. But I can't deny the fact that they're going out there and just dominating the Western Conference. The Western Conference that is typically always regarded as the most 
you know, competitive division or the competitive conference. It's not even really competitive this year for the number one. They're seed, thirty and nine in conference, and after tonight, thirty one and nine. That's and crazy. And, and the lead that they have over second place in the Western Conference is getting bigger. It's so set it, six games right now. It'll be at seven. So I mean, I think at one point it even got to eight. Yeah, it was so, nuts. So, but they've been consistently holding that lead for at least what the last month. Month, month and a half, yeah. Because we were kind of thinking about whether or not that maybe Golden State could kind of try to catch up. Get that, yeah, get that number one spot now that Chris Paul was out with that thumb injury. Well, but, now it's Memphis at the two. Yeah. Golden State has kind of faltered after the All-Star break. Steph's kind of been cooling off in the second half. I think that's something. Well, they're missing, they're missing Draymond. I know that, you know, well, they were missing Draymond for a period of time. Again, I don't follow the Warriors as much as I should. He's, but He's coming back this week. He's coming back to so it, that that's the life and soul. We've been saying that for years. People are, you know, he may not be the equivalent of Steph and Clay. He may not be the equivalent of a KD. But when he's not on the floor, Golden State feels it. Oh yeah, like a hundred percent. But you know, Memphis is an entirely different conversation because John Morant's just absolutely cooking this year. Another level, another level. But still, like when you look at like John Morant and the coverage that he's gotten, granted, he's very flashy, super athletic, has put Memphis on the map. But still, like, you know, the Suns are just cooking. The Suns have just been doing their thing the entire year. And honestly, I just don't think that they've gotten the shine that their number one seed deserves. And maybe maybe I'm being a little bit too, um, I don't want to say short-sighted. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm kind of leaning on Phoenix a little bit too heavy here. But when you only have 14 losses and we're halfway through March... That's got to count for something. This yeah. team is this team is going to get probably what 62, 63 wins when it's all said and done this season. They're not going to lose more than 20 games this season no matter if Chris Paul is out for the rest of the season or not. They've been playing way too consistent. So I know I I know I'm kind of leaning heavy on Phoenix here, but I think they deserve it, bro. It's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm the one that predicted that they would go back and win the West. You're the one that said Golden State, so let's not get that twisted. I did. I did. It's just that I didn't think that they would be this dominant. They're nice, and, bro. And I and I kind of bought into the whole, you know, basically Golden State is coming back healthy. And, you know, I think that's definitely a team that you have to still look out for. When, when Golden State Without fully, a doubt, you can't sleep on them, ever. When Golden State is fully healthy... That team is going to be tough to deal with because you got Steph, you got Clay, you got Draymond, you got Jordan Poole. You have a bunch of guarantee in the second. And like, Wiseman hasn't come back yet. When he I comes know. back, that's another piece. I, it's just Golden State is still that threat in the West, though. Oh, but, oh yeah. Never, never said they weren't. No. But the Suns, the Suns have just been chugging along. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think the reason why the media doesn't talk about them is just because they go out there and win in kind of in a boring fashion, but they're just super effective. And that's just kind of, Oh, they don't really provide a lot of like big play highlights. Like you look at like John Morant, John Morant will body somebody damn near like every other week. You know, Devin Booker will go out there and drop 30, 35 points. And it's like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's ho-hum. Just, you know, it's another nice it's another Tuesday. Day. Yep. It's just another day in the office. Like it's just, I'm not even a Phoenix Suns fan. But I can recognize when I see a good team, and they're a really good team. Really For good. Sure. 
Yeah, when you when you smack down the number one seed in the East by like 20, 25 points, granted they didn't have Jimmy. That, that says something, though. That, that says something. Sounds are going to be a problem, bro. They're going to be a problem. Agreed. But I think we've uh, I think we've reached the end of this episode, Kev. What do you think? I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, I know it's a little late on our side, but again, you know, just great and happy to get back to you know creating content for you guys. You know, putting episodes out there. I mean. Kyle and I just have so much fun. I know that the Yankee thing kind of threw off the entire episode at the beginning, but I mean, like it literally broke as the episode started. So I, that was an authentic, like, holy shit moment. So I'm not going to apologize for that. It kind of makes our content hey, realistic. Wait, 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 wait. Before we wrap this up, one word response is all I'm looking for here. What do you think about that Josh Donaldson trade? Horrid. Then I'm lying. But yeah, continue. Uh, but I mean, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, obviously we'll have some stuff dropping throughout the week. Kyle and I have some other content previously recorded that we're going to drop, you know, sporadically to keep our consistency. Uh, we're hitting one of those strides, man. I've been telling Kyle for the last two days, numbers are going up in every statistical category between social media platform, following uh, subscriber count. I mean, audio platform plays and usage. I'm not going to complain. I'm just in shock, but this is kind of how the industry goes. We'll have a a month, month and a half of a lull, and then we'll kind of have a random pickup. So right now we're riding the wave. We're having a good time, and, you know, we're just grateful for everybody that's, you know, been along for the ride, and we're just going to continue to do whatever we can to make this a a fun and enjoyable time for you guys when you listen to us. Exactly. I mean, I I really couldn't have said it better. Um, Now that I finally kind of shook off the rust after we took basically a week off since it's (coughs) – I was basically dying from allergies, but back into the fold, back to the groove. It's just going to be back to uh, business as usual. Um, we will have probably a segment or two later this week. Um, just kind of depends on what's out in the sports world at that current moment in time, um, just to kind of keep the content rolling. And then we'll have another episode later this week for you guys, kind of like what we've always done. Um, once again, just always appreciate you guys tuning in, whether it's on the audio platforms, whether it's on YouTube, definitely appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. Um, other than that, I got nothing more to say. Kevin, floor is yours. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate everything over the last couple of months, and we will see you guys again later this week. Sounds good. See y'all. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.